All right, today I want to continue on our conversations that we've been kind of in, talking about the theme of living a successful Christian life. And today we're going to be talking about preparing to run the race. And uh, the last weeks we talked about being a uh, part of a um, local church, how important it was to be that. And uh, we talked about uh, how important it is to develop a consistent and a persistent prayer life. We talked about listening closely to the truth that we already know so that we don't drift away because how easily we can drift when we stop listening to truth or we become negligent. And then last week we talked about the importance of being accountable to God and to people. And that's kind of what we were talking about today, how we, when we're accountable to people, we lift them up in their times of needs. And we also can be lifted up in our time of need. So these are all good things and 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 how we live a Christian life, a successful Christian life in the world that we're living in because the world we're living in as we know is broken. It's not good and everything that we can that we see is continuing to show us how broken it really is. But you know, thank the Lord that we don't live in this we live in this world but we're not of this world. Right? Our our home is eternal and uh, we are just journeying through. So today we're going to talk about what it means to prepare to run the race. Quite often I think that we start running before we're prepared. And I think quite often we we tell people that, you know, when you get saved, Jesus is going to make your life better and he's going to take away all your problems and life's going to be good. And there's truth in that, but there's much more to that than what we tell them. We have to prepare people to run the race. And I think the reason that many people stop the race or get lost in the middle of the race is because they weren't properly informed about the preparations required to run the Christian race. And they get disappointed and they get disillusioned and they say, I'm done. I've tried it. It didn't work for me. Do you know of anybody like that? Maybe have you struggled in that area? Maybe yourself at times? So today we're going to talk about what it means to prepare to run the race. And we're going to stay in Hebrews chapter 12. That's the text that we started in last week. And we're going to continue to be in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. And uh, we're going to be in this text for a couple of weeks because there's an awful lot that we can dig out of this passage. So Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Stand with me, if you will. And let's read this together. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, this is always an encouraging passage for me to go to in my times of discouragement or depression or God or just questions. I thank you, Lord, for that great cloud of witnesses. And I thank you, Lord, that we are to, we're reminded how to, we're to throw off everything that hinders and the sin 
that so easily entangles us. And then we're to run with perseverance that race that's marked out for us. And, and God, and, and there's so many other things that we're going to glean out of this. I pray, God, you open our spiritual eyes and our ears to hear and to see what you would have for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, I'm not a runner. Uh, well, I, I ran 100 yards when I was in high school. I, I did run a, a mile one time, and I threw up at the end of it, and that was the last time I ran any distance at all. <laughs> so I'm not, a, I'm not a marathon runner, but I know that there's those that are, and I've found out that there's quite a bit of preparation required uh, if you're going to run a marathon. And uh, there's three things, actually. Um, to prepare for a long race. Number one, you are to obtain the right gear. You are to prepare yourself mentally. And you're also to prepare yourself physically. And I think those are pretty obvious things. And I'm not going to go through these uh, steps in order, but I, I, I want to touch on the fact of what does it mean to be prepared to run a race. Preparation is the key. To prepare yourself is the key. No one can run a 26.3, is that what it is, 26-mile marathon without proper preparation. It's just can't you can't do it. And at the same time, no one can run a Christian race without proper preparation. There's a lot of similarities between running a marathon and running a Christian race. So how do you prepare for the marathon? First of all, you have to get the right kind of shoes, Right? You have to have shoes that support your ankle and they lock your heel into place and they give your toes enough room to wiggle around. That's a, a quote from one of the uh, websites that I found trying to prepare. How do you, how do you run or prepare for a marathon? And it says you have to have the right shoes. If you're running a sprint, you want a different kind of a shoe than you're going to run if you're going to have if you're going to run a marathon. If you're going to run a sprint, you want a lightweight shoe. It doesn't need a lot of support because you're only going 100 yards. You need the lightweight. But if you're going to run a marathon, you need to have a heavier shoe, one with more support for your ankle and your arch, and you must have cushion support because you're doing a lot of pounding, a lot of long-term running. It's going to take a few hours of running, and so you need to have a different kind of a shoe if you're going to run a marathon. You have to have the right kind of clothing, and it might cost a little bit of money to buy this clothing. You want to have clothing that's not just your typical cotton T-shirt if you're going to run a marathon because you're going to sweat a lot. So you want to have clothing that wicks away that sweat from your body and it dries quickly uh, in the air. So you want to have a, a active wear fabric because they're designed to move sweat away from the body, whereas cotton absorbs the water and it gets heavy, it chaffs your body. Um, I've seen, well, I don't want to go there, it sounds pretty gross, but I mean, men that, if they're not wearing something on their breasts, that they come up with bloody nipples because their clothing is chaffing on them. And, and so you have to prepare yourself properly, and so you have to wear the proper clothes. In the same way, it takes a lot of spiritual preparation for us to run the race of our Christian walk. And not just maybe to finish it, but we want to finish it well, right? We want to finish it with, and we want to, we want to be a victor. So how do we prepare for this? 
Well, Hebrews chapter 12 gives us some preparation um, instructions and how we prepare for the race. Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we talked about that last week, and that's we talked about a lot of accountability. That's this great cloud of witnesses give us accountability to our faith. And that's uh, that was a good message. You can go back and listen last last week if you want to online. But today we want to talk about the preparation says, let us throw off. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's think about that for a minute. What are we talking about? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I think it's obvious that when we think about this, that certainly they were to throw off all the sin, but what about hindrances? What hinders us? You see, there are some things that a runner might do to disqualify themselves from winning the race. And there are some things that a runner will do that necessarily won't disqualify him, but it might be a hindrance to his running the race, that it might make it a lot more difficult to finish, let alone win. So what are some examples? What are some examples of the things that would disqualify? This is right off of a website. Here are some things that would disqualify a marathon runner. Taking banned substances like steroids. All right. If it's a race over a long and twisting course, taking a shortcut or getting off the track, which some have done. Some other things that would disqualify is don't touch other runners or try to hold them or trip them. That would disqualify you. Don't refuse aid or direction from medical personnel along the track. Don't help injured runners or carry them across the finish line. That would disqualify you. Don't receive assistance from anyone on the course. And here's one that really surprised me, but it happened. Don't switch spots with your twin in the bathroom. (laughs) That really happened. And they had this set up along the way where these twins were running the race and one would run and get ahead and then go to the bathroom and his twin would be there. They'd quick change their, their shirt and their shoes, get back in the race, and I would go ahead and get another bathroom and they did it two or three times. And so that would disqualify the runner. <laughs> so in other words, don't cheat, right? So what are some things though that may hinder but maybe not disqualify? Well, We already talked about the importance of having proper shoes. Maybe wearing the wrong shoes or other type of clothing would not disqualify you, but certainly hinder you. Maybe not being properly hydrated before and or during the race would hinder you. Or maybe not having a good breakfast or eating right, having good nutrition before the race would hinder you from finishing. Maybe starting off too fast and maybe not keeping a good pace would hinder you. Again, everybody said, well, I want to lead the race at least for a while, so I'm going to sprint the first 100 yards to be a leader in the marathon, but chances are you're not going to maintain the pace of a sprinter and you'll probably lose the race. So do you see the difference between something that would disqualify and something that would hinder 
a person that's running a long race. One prevents from winning or finishing the race because of legitimate rules that you've broken. The other would keep you from finishing and or winning because of carelessness or negligence. Both are choices that can be avoided if you properly understand the rules and also properly understand what it means to be prepared. Choices make up the difference in our ability to run the race and to be prepared for run the race. So with this said, how does this apply to our lives spiritually and eternally when it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's easily entangled? So let's talk about the things that would disqualify us first spiritually. Sin is a disqualifier from being able to win the race. I mean, that's just, I think that's pretty obvious. Sin is a disqualifier. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if there is obvious sin in a person's life, that's a disqualifier. So what is sin? Well, sin is sin. Sin is is sin. There, there, the Bible doesn't classify sin as one being worse than the other. That we can manage some kinds of sin in our life. And as long as we manage it okay and not let it get too big, that we'll still be able to run the race. It doesn't matter what kind of sin the person is involved with. It's a disqualifier from being in the presence of God. Both now and eternally. God cannot be in the presence of willful and chosen sin. It's a disqualifier. But some people say, well, I just tell little white lies. You know, the kind that help the story. They embellish the story a little bit. It's not really changing anything. It's just embellishing. I, I, little white lies. Or I just gossip a little about people. It just keeps the conversation going with people that I can, you know, and partake in the gossip with them. Or I just tell just a few off-color jokes. You know, I allow myself to stay connected to my buddies because I laugh at their jokes and I join in with the jokes. You know what I'm talking about? These are the, the little things that we justify in our, in our lives, the little area of sinfulness, thinking that God's okay with all this. But the problem with little sins is they don't stay little very long. You know, my dad would tell me all the time that if you're going to be a liar, you have to have a great memory. Because a person that tells a lie, it's not normally a one-time occurrence. Why is that? Because if you're going to lie and not get caught in it, you need to be remember need to remember what lie you told to what person and tell that lie over and over again so that you don't get caught being tripped up by the truth. <laughs> or another kind of a lie, right? And we've we've seen that happen and one lie builds on another lie and then another lie. And then another lie, and before long you don't even know who you are anymore because you're believing in your own lies. So a little white lie doesn't stay white very long. 
because it has to be repeated and it gets darker and darker and darker as you tell it. And so therefore you spin yourself into a life of lies. And you know, that's just a small issue, but it's real, something I think we all can associate with because I think we've all been tempted, if not done that. And uh, all of a sudden we can find ourselves in a world of, a world of place where we didn't want to be. But there are bigger issues with how the enemy uses things that would deceive us. And then they get really twisted and they get really um, pretty serious. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that we're dealing right now with gender confusion and the whole LGBTQ world is that we've allowed some levels of sin to go unnoticed. And we've allowed people to go down that world without speaking to them truth and love. And all of a sudden, what starts out small um, and not taken seriously, and if it's not handled correctly, it grows into a big monstrous lie and a deception that the enemy uses. And quite honestly, the sad part about that is he's allowed, he's made that into its whole separate category of sin. That we've just now said that the lifestyle, the choice is to live a sexual lifestyle the way we want to live in it when it's contrary to God's word. We have taken that out of its, the context and we've making it its own category. And we've not even, the world doesn't even call it sinful anymore. They just call it a part of choice. It's a choice that we've all accepted. And now they make that as, they make it as like it's a racial thing. You know, something that you can't control, the color of your skin, which is not your choice. And they're using that if you are anti-homosexual, then you're a racist. And you are, you are disqualifying or you're, you're, uh, um, distinguishing that person just like you would distinguish a, a person of, di- of different color. And they had no choice over their color. But they have every choice over their sexual orientation. So it's a real, it's a real ugly thing and it all started with a small thing. And that's another context or another subject for a whole other day. We don't, we're not going to get into that. But there are some things though. There are some things that must be thrown off. If we're going to prepare to run the race marked out for us, there are sins that must be thrown off. And the question is, what are your sins that you must throw off? And I'm just going to leave it there right now when it comes to that because I don't know your life and I'm not going to start telling you what your sins are. You know. If you're honest with yourself, you know the sins that are in your life that are disqualifiers for you. The question is, are you going to throw them off? Or are you going to justify them and let them stay in your life and get bigger and bigger and more entwined in your life as you go? So those are some things. Remember, sin is an immediate disqualifier to be a part of God's family. So let's talk now about the things that would hinder us. This is a little more difficult because this is a little bit more gray. In addition to the sins... There are some things that simply hinder us from running well, and they must be dealt with if we're going to finish, let alone win the race. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders. See, there can be things in your life that even though they aren't necessarily sinful, they can still hold you back from doing your best in the race. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Preparing for a marathon, it may mean that we have either a cotton shirt on or a dry fit shirt on. And, see, either one of them, it's not a rule breaker for me to wear a cotton shirt. Maybe I just didn't want to spend the money to buy that shirt, the dry fit shirt, because it is more expensive than a normal cotton t-shirt. And therefore, I, I can run the race with a cotton shirt on because I didn't want to spend the money. Or maybe I didn't want to buy a new pair of running shoes because my shoes are fine when I started the race, but I didn't know they were going to blow out on mile 15. And so therefore, I just chose not to buy the new pair of shoes. So it's not that buying the cotton shirt was sinful or not sinful. It's not that buying the new pair of shoes was wrong or not wrong. It wasn't an unwise use of money to buy a good pair of shoes. See, these are just some things, some choices that we make that are hindering us in the race physically. So how do we relate this to a spiritual example? You see, the things that hinder us may not keep us from winning, but it will make the race a lot harder with a lot more potential pitfalls along the way to keep us from finishing, possibly. Let's just think about that for a minute. The things that hinder us may not be sinful things, but they may be the things that we allow in our life that would help, or that would make our run harder, or make our life harder. That are choices that we just don't need to have. They're, they're optional things in our life, but yet we've allowed them to stay there. If it was just about us, then we could pretty much stop the message here. And I would say, go figure your hindrances out. But unfortunately, we aren't running our race in a deserted island or in a vacuum. We aren't running the race alone. We're with other people and we're being watched. We're influencing others in their race. And so you're thinking, now, who are you talking about, Mike? Who am I influencing? Well, if you're a parent, your children are watching you. If you're a grandparent, your grandchildren are watching you. Who are these people? These are the people that you love the most. The people that love you the most and that you love the most, they are watching you run your race. They are watching you deal with the hindrances and the sins that easily entangle. They're watching. They're, they're paying attention. You know, dysfunctional parents raise dysfunctional children. It just is part of the thing. Because what our children watch and what they see from us is who they become. Whether they like it or not in some cases. You know, I saw this quote yesterday that I really think it fit in very well today. Kids don't remember what you try to teach them. They remember what you are. Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets. Think about that. Kids don't remember what you try to teach them. Rather, they remember what you are. That's kind of heavy, isn't it? Think about it. So when I think about it this way, things that hinder 
can also be the things that become stumbling blocks for other people that are watching us run our race. Things that hinder us can also become stumbling blocks for those that are watching us run the race. Now, how do, we, how do our hindrances turn into stumbling blocks? Maybe we should ask, what is a stumbling block? What is a stumbling block? Well, we all know what it means to trip and fall down if someone leaves their shoes in the middle of the room or there's a rug turned up and we're not expecting it and we're scuffing. And my, my, my mom would always say, pick up your feet, Mike, pick up your feet. But we're scuffing along, you know, and we hit somebody's shoes or we hit that rug and all of a sudden we trip. That's a stumbling block, that we've fallen down because somebody left something inadvertently in my path, or maybe I left my own clothes laying on the floor and I tripped on them when I got out of bed. Who knows? You know what I mean? It's a stumbling block. But the person following you doesn't see the obstacle, and they trip and they fall. What does this mean spiritually for us to leave spiritual stumbling blocks in the path that the people trip on that are following us how do we spiritualize this well the bible gives many references to a person being a stumbling block even in the old testament ezekiel chapter 3 20 and 22 it says the the prophet says again when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil i put a stumbling block before them and they will die since you did not warn them they will die for their sin the righteous things that that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you did warn the righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, they will surely live because you took they took the warning, and you will have saved yourself. If you go back and read this chapter in Ezekiel, it, it goes into great detail, actually, about the responsibility that we have not to be a stumbling block to others in our sphere of influence and actually for us to help them, warn them of the sin in their life because if I see it and I don't warn them, then their blood is on me when it comes to being my judgment from God. But if I warn a person and they still sin, then my their blood is not held accountable to me because I've done all I can do. I've warned them. So stumbling blocks can go both ways. I can either be the stumbling block or I can help them avoid stumbling blocks. And it's my responsibility to listen to what the Lord is asking me to do and or me how I should live. Jesus even accused Peter of being a stumbling block to him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. This is when Jesus was describing to the disciples what his death was going to be. And Peter took offense to this, and he says, verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Peter was being a stumbling block to Jesus, accomplishing his mission that God had sent him on. So it's dangerous to be a stumbling block to people. Now, Peter may not have been enough of a deterrent to keep Jesus from accomplishing his mission, but it certainly serves as an example for us how a person can have a negative impact, even on the strongest Christian, if we're not careful how we're living in front of people. 
So go, let's come back to our example. Exercising our Christian freedoms at the risk of becoming a stumbling block to another person can be considered one of the hindrances that we are to throw off in our race. Anything that hinders our optional Anything that hinders us are optional things in our life, and we don't need them. We've allowed them to come in. It's a choice that we make that it isn't necessary for our existence. Paul says this about exercising freedoms. Now, I know a lot of people, when we start going down this vein, I'm going to start getting into the point where people are going to start saying, Mike, you're starting to meddle now in my life. But I want you to know how important it is that Christians, yes, we have Christian freedoms. I understand that. But Paul understood it as well, and he says some pretty interesting things about people that exercise Christian freedoms at the expense of other people. First Corinthians chapter 8, 9 through 13, Peter says, or Paul says this. He says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? Now let me stop you just for a second. Because in this day, they still had idol worship going on and they were, people were bringing meats and such to sacrifice to the idols. And people would say, well, if that meat was sacrificed to the idol, then that is bad meat. I shouldn't eat it because now you're partaking in the idol worship. And Paul and the disciples said, you know, it's just meat. (laughs) It means nothing. That idol is nothing. So that meat, I can eat that meat because it doesn't defile me. That meat's not defiled. But to those that were just coming out of idol worship and were becoming Christians, that was a big deal because that meat to them was considered to be idol worship. And so it became a stumbling block for Peter or for Paul and the other disciples to eat that meat because it was causing those younger Christians to stumble over it. And this is what Paul says about it. Verse 11, So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin... I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? And, you know, right away the enemy would come up to us and say, well, who am I? I'm not my brother's keeper. They can deal with it themselves. But let me ask, let me go down the vein. Let me continue on the vein of of this question. Can a hindrance become a disqualifier? Can what something that started off as a hindrance to me, can it become a sin in my life? Can it become a disqualifier? Can something that began as simply as a hindrance to a runner in a race, can it be something, can it grow into something big enough that would prevent them from finishing? Think about that. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But I want to talk about one of the gray areas now, because now I want to give an example. And this is an example that is um, huge, I think, in the Christian church today. See, gray areas are areas that are maybe more of a hindrance area rather than a sinful area. 
So what I'm going to say now, I'm going to say from my conviction, and this is my conviction, it may or may not be your conviction, but I'm speaking from my conviction on this one. And I want to give you enough background on it so that you know why my conviction is legitimate for me. I want to talk today about the area of choosing to drink alcohol and using other intoxicating substances like marijuana, because that's legal today, and other drugs in the Christian world. Because I know that's a huge topic that, for me, it's something I can't do. For others, it may be just a hindrance. And for others, it may not be anything. So before you shut me out, hear me out. Hear everything I have to say on this before you just say, no, Mike, you're going down this meddling world again of getting on your soapbox about drinking because it is a conviction for me. But let me understand, let me explain to you why. And I know there are many Christian people that choose to drink wine, beer, and alcohol of different kinds and maybe even use pot. Either they smoke it or maybe ingest it, edible. And are these things potential hindrances that could become disqualifiers. Let me go back and let's identify what alcohol is, or marijuana, or pot, or any other drugs. They are known as intoxicants. Well, what does that mean? According to the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica Dictionary, it says an intoxicant is anything that causes people to become excited or confused and less able to control what they say or do. It reduces inhibitions and impairs judgment. It can be addictive and often does. Why then is this a gray area in Scripture? That's one of the questions I have. Something that can become so damaging, why is it such a gray area? See, the Bible doesn't give us a clear answer about drinking other than to say this. It it does say this, that a drunkard won't be in the kingdom of God along with a host of other sinful actions. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 10, it says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, and, you know, by the way, we can worship idols. How do we worship idols? Anything that we place before God becomes an idol, right? We may not sacrifice meat to it, but I can let my golf game become my idol. You know what I'm talking about. Or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So the question that I have to ask myself when I look at all these lists of these things, what are, what is a greedy person? Am I a greedy person? Do I give regularly of my tithe and offering to church? Do I give to other people in need? Am I a greedy person? I have to look at these. I have to identify what these things are. Do I commit adultery in my mind? Pornography? Do I practice homosexuality? I hope not. Am I a thief? Do I steal? 
stealing can be lots of different things, right? I mean, I know we see these are getting into the things that we may not be considered sinful in many areas, or we might just consider that my my desire to cheat on my taxes or to steal from my employer that pencil or that extra vacation day or cheat on my expenses. See, I used to be in the business world. I knew what it was like to have an expense account. And I knew how tempting it was to cheat in my expense account. I had to really watch myself on that. I do taxes. You do taxes, right? We have to watch ourselves. And, and yeah, we can say, well, the government is doing the bad things with their money. I get that. But it's still something I have to be accountable for. But then it comes time to define what's a drunkard. What's a drunkard? If I'm drunk or buzzed, what defines drunkenness? What defines drunkenness? Do I, if I get drunk one time, am I a drunkard? Or do I have to become an alcoholic first to become a drunkard? You see, there's some gray areas here that I really don't know the answers to. And so for me, why this is a conviction for me is that if I don't clearly understand, if God hasn't clearly identified, what does it mean to be drunk? Is it a buzz or when I can't walk? If I don't understand what it means, then why do I want to play with the intoxicant that could get me there? So therefore, I've learned a long time ago that my answer is to say, no, thank you. I'll have a water or a soda. I don't need it. Therefore, I'm not going to let it become a hindrance in my life where it could potentially become a stumbling block or a disqualifier. So this is called just being wise and being smart. See, the difference when we were growing up, we didn't drink, smoke, or go to dances or or all those things. We were legalistic in it. And the difference between being legalistic in something and having a conviction about something is knowledge and education and applying wisdom in it. So I can have a strong conviction for something, which to some might consider, I may be considered to be legalistic, but I can look at it and say, no, I'm not legalistic in it. I just have a conviction because I know where it might take me if I indulge in it. Does that make sense? It's called being wise. But yet many Christians can say, but it's my freedom to choose to participate in that activity, whatever it is. You know what the biggest, what's happening more and more today is home online gambling, fan duel. And what are these things coming? We were just talking about yesterday, weren't we, Dean? You can, they're, they're gambling on golfers now. And, you know, they're gambling on everything you can think of. You can get online and gamble. And to the one person to say, well, I can do that. I don't, I don't get addicted to that. I can gamble with that. But you know, the other people, once you get it, it's, man, it becomes an addictive thing that you can't stop. And then you start losing money that you don't have. And all of a sudden, families are being destroyed over something that comes into the home on the TV. Oh, see how dangerous this becomes? But Paul says this about freedoms. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, just a little bit further down in that passage in chapter in Corinthians. It says, I have the right, Paul says, to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So what Paul's saying is that, yeah, I may have the right to drink. I may have the right to gamble. I may have the right to do that. 
And it may be one of those hindrances that are not sinful. But let me ask you, is it beneficial? Is it helping my walk with Christ? Is it bringing me closer to Christ when I'm doing that, whatever that activity is? Does the choice that one makes to exercise their Christian freedoms to drink or to smoke pot or to gamble or to watch that TV show or whatever it is, is it helping me run my race? If it isn't, then what does the writer of Hebrews say? Throw it off. Get rid of it. A person that dabbles with something that is so potentially devastating is unwise in their own life, but more importantly, it becomes a potential stumbling block for those that are following them. Man, this is really good, guys. See, because a person could say, well, listen, I only have one drink. I have one glass of wine or one beer. And you know what? For that person that limits themselves to that and can do that, great. Good for them. They're probably never going to get drunk. They're never going to, so they're never going to pass that over that line of drunkenness. I get that. So they're probably fine. I'm not saying that if you have a drink, you're going to hell. I'm not saying that. But here's the question that I have for people that are watching. Let's say I go to a restaurant and I have a server, a, a restaurant waiter or waitress give me a, a, a beverage and I drink it. But they don't know that I'm limiting myself to one. Or a coworker, or one, or you know, whatever else. Because once they start drinking, they drink till they're till they're drunk, and they don't know that I stop at one. So for them, all they're seeing is they're seeing a green light. Well, because he can do it, then I can do it. My kids, because dad does it, then I can do it. My grandkids, because grandpa does it, then I can do it. See, but they're not understanding that I limit it to one. Or I have the ability to limit to one because some people are given to drunkenness or alcoholism and others aren't. So if I am a stumble, if I do that and become a stumbling block to my grandson or granddaughter and they become an alcoholic and they say, well, because I saw grandpa drink. Oh man, that's weighty. That's a conviction of mine. I don't want my kids to see anything. I want to be what Jim Henson says. It's not what I try to teach them, it's, it's who I am. The Bible's very serious when it comes to causing someone to stumble. Let's keep moving. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6 through 7. Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, who are these little ones? Children and or young Christians. Little ones. Who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Verse 7, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Let's see how serious this is, guys. What is a hindrance for me can be a stumbling block for somebody else. And if that's the case, woe to me. Because now my hindrance becomes a devastating consequence. Jackie, would you come please? I know this has gotten maybe down a little bit of a different path than maybe what we thought. But it's important that we understand our convictions for what they mean. 
And so when I have a conviction, I want you to know why I have my conviction. And maybe you'll accept that. And maybe you'll say, wow, I never thought about it that way on any of those topics. And maybe you'll say, you know, I want that too. I want something like that because I want to make sure that my life lines up with God's word. First of all, that it never, my hindrances never grow into a, a, a situation that becomes a disqualifier for me, a thing called sin. And most importantly, I don't want the things that I allow into my life to become a stumbling block for those that are watching me. I know that we're all on a journey here, right? This is not our home. And boy, I know that's easy to say. But living day to day can become difficult for us. And sometimes overbearing. So this is why we're studying what it means to be a successful Christian. Because there are some things that if we do the things that God lays out, it helps us. It prepares us for the race that we're about to bark on. Or this journey of life that we're going through. Proactively preparing ourselves for our Christian walk helps us. Not only does it help us, but it helps those that are watching us or running alongside us. It goes right along with that accountability message we talked about last week. That I need to be accountable to you to help you in the areas that you struggle in. And you know, I really feel bad for those that have struggled with alcoholism and they're coming out of alcoholism and then they see me as a Christian drink in front of them. The thing that destroyed their life or a gambling addict, that one that lost their home and lost their marriage over gambling and they they see me play with the thing that destroyed them. Do you see how I'm how important that is that we watch our, our walk. If we're going to call ourselves a follower of Christ, then let's be a follower of Christ. And let's be a disciple of Christ. Every time I say follower, I go back to Pastor Rip's message a few weeks ago. We need to be a disciple of Christ, not just a follower of Christ. We need to be a disciple of Christ, meaning we need to learn what Christ did and model it and replicate it and duplicate Christ's life in front of others, not just be a follower of Jesus. No, we need to be a disciple. We need to work hard. And that's where our joy comes from. That's where our purpose comes from. When I work hard at something, I get more joy out of it. When I put more into it, I invest myself into it, I get more out of it. Amen? Something that comes easy and quick typically falls away easy and quick. But when I work for something, when I invest myself into something, I cherish it. It becomes precious to me. And that's what my salvation needs to be. That's why I love the songs we were singing about how we get lost in God's presence, Jackie. And we get to a place where we just don't want to leave because we're in the presence of the Lord. And when I can cherish him that much that I get into his presence and I don't want to leave, then why would I allow anything to hinder me, take me out of that? So let's be proactive in our discernment. And let's learn to throw off all the unnecessary things that come into our life that are not 
something I have to have. But yet they can quickly become a deterrent or an obstacle or even a sin in my life and or those that are watching us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for the way that you just bring messages to my heart that convict me. Lord, not that I enjoy conviction, but I know that your conviction means that you're dealing with my heart. That you're asking me to change some things in my life. Because when you ask me to change some things, that means what you're doing is you're making me a better person. Because, God, I really do want to finish this race. I just don't want to finish it. I want to finish well. And I want to win that. I want to cross that that finish line with my arms lifted high. And I hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful. The reality is the only way I'm ever going to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful, is if I'm good and faithful while I'm in the race. I can't cheat my way through this and then you say, well done, good and faithful. So, Father, I just pray that you help us. Lord, help us as in, in, in our walk, in our Christian walk, that you would just sharpen us and that you would bring things to our attention that maybe we just kind of let off as little things that really don't matter. But really, when we take them all together and add them up, it's a big deal. And not only for us, but for the many people that are watching us. Free us, I pray. Free us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, if you will. And let's just sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing as we get ready to go home. Breathe.
Help us in our lives as we leave this place today that we would really find ourselves living for you. When I live for you, it takes the attention off me. It takes the attention off my desires and it puts on my attention on the things that you desire that really benefit me more. Those are the beneficial things, the things that please you because they give me fullness in my life. So I pray, Father, that as we go to our homes, as we take this message and hopefully chew on it a little bit this week, that, God, that the things would settle into us, that you're not asking anything of us that hurts us. Everything you ask of us is is helpful for us. It benefits us, not only in this life, but for all eternity. And I pray, God, that we would allow that to settle into our hearts and lives, and we would make that the thing that we chase after. And let the things of this earth grow strangely dim. Let them go by the wayside, God. The optional things in life that may just hinder me, God, help me to throw them off. And when I throw them off, God, just let the joy of the Lord be my strength. That I find myself more in the presence of you and I want to stay in your presence. Oh, God, help us. And we give you praise. We give you glory as you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed.